We started Ephesians last week, and uh, we're going to be jumping back in there. So if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 is where we're going to start. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And we are going to be looking at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Um, I have this memory. I grew up in the upstate when I was in high school, my youth pastor thought it would be a great idea for us to go camping on an island in the middle of one of the lakes up there. And I don't remember which one it was. For those of you that went to school in the upstate or grew up in the upstate, I, I forget what lake it was. It was a long time ago. And so we went out, and we had a couple of families in the church who had boats. And uh, we took boats out to this island, which we all thought was really cool. And um, we actually had a... Uh, a paintball guy um, come out and bring all of his paintball guns to this island, and we camped and did the camping thing, s'mores and all that stuff. We played paintball, and when the trip was getting ready to, to, to wrap up, um, you have to, when you're on an island, you have to haul everything by boat, obviously, and we had a big group out there, and so we had everything from tents to gear to coolers, and um, we had those big, long rectangle, rectangle tables. You know what I'm talking about? Which were not designed to fit in the speedboat, okay? And so um, we had to get all this stuff back to land. And so we, we stacked these, these long, white rectangle tables, um, but a storm came up and started raining. And so in order for these giant tables not to catch the wind and, and, and blow off, um, we had to, like bear hug them and, and hold on to them as, we're, as we're, we're, we're boating in. But it started raining, and so when it starts raining, you, you speed up, even though you might get more wet, right? So you speed up. Anybody been in a boat when it's raining hard? Okay, so it feels like you're being pelted. And so I, I, I got to be the one who was bear hugging the, the big white tables while the guy's like across the lake, and I'm getting pelted with all, all the rain, and I'm just like, ah, and we get there. And it was one of those things where when we arrived, we were just miserable. You know, at that point, we were, we were drenched. All of our stuff was soaking wet. We had to get all of our, our things out. And I just have this memory of this kid who I was there with. And he looked at me, and he said this. It builds character. <laughs> you know? Like, how many of you have ever been told it builds character, and you've been in just a, like a, a crappy situation? Like, I, like, that's not what I need to hear. You know what I mean? It, it builds character. And, I, and at that point, I was like, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, you know, when you're, when you're, whenever you're in a situation that is uh, less than ideal, and somebody is trying to counsel you through it, it seems like they throw stuff out there like that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, you can't, I, I can't offer you anything that will make you dry. I can't offer you anything that will make you more comfortable. Um, I can't fix the situation that you're in, so therefore I will appeal to a higher um, purpose behind your bad situation right now and say, hey, this is for your good because it builds character. You, you follow? Right? Just, just for feedback, um, how we do this. We, we do this. Like when, anybody, when anybody's in a, a situation that they may not choose to be in, 
we often try um, to alleviate their suffering or their situation by appealing to a greater, a greater purpose. Um, so if, if you've been in this situation or if you've seen the situation, I'd like to hear your feedback, right? Um, what would you say to somebody um, who has been diagnosed with a disease? Let's say they're a close family member or um, a good friend and you just found out this rough, this rough situation, this rough diagnosis, um, you should say something to them, right? Like you shouldn't ignore them as your friend or ignore the situation because it's the biggest thing that just happened in their life. What, what, what would you say to them? Sorry, I'm praying for you. What else do you say to somebody who maybe has received rough news like that? Just, I think Jeff guys see it pretty well. You know, you just listen to them and let them kind of vent about their issues and all around them, trying to give them advice, just hear where they're at. Mm-hmm. Okay. What kind of advice? Like I said, I don't. Like, people always try to, you know, say, oh, there's going to be something good that comes out of it, or, you know, try to put this optimistic approach, but, you know, in that situation, that's not what they want to hear. They're just kind of, this sucks right now. Just, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about that, kind of alleviates that, at least in my experience. Yeah. Okay. I think the best thing is to say, I'll be here for you. You know, because a lot of people don't want to do it alone, so if they know somebody there that's, you know, I guess, suffering with them, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a lot better. Okay. What else? I try not to do this. I feel like everybody wants to tell you a story about somebody they had to have a I think that's true. Yeah? yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's change up the situation a little bit. This is good. You listen. You pray. Um, James, right? James yes. said that you may or may not try to put a positive spin on it. Uh, what about somebody who... Um, has just failed a test, a big test, that, that you can commiserate with. You know what I mean? So it's not, not, it's not like a life-changing situation here, but if somebody that you know just bombed out and they're really in the dumps, what do you say to them? Um, well, I have to apologize for organic chemistry, which is a little bit, you know, first classes. And the professor, after the first exam, where the average was like 40-something, tests we've all had friends who failed tests right let's read this Chris well, so, <clears throat> sometimes people are trying to make a joke about it like it was I don't know uh, um, it's kind of appeased the situation okay so make a joke about it 
Oh, I got a 70 or failing. Right. Oh, I got a 60 something this time, uh, better than my 50 or whatever. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> a true story. Better than my 50. <laughs> you know, um, I think that, uh, and maybe, maybe, I think there's, you, you ever seen somebody try to over spiritualize things? You know? I went, to a, I went to a Bible college, and I felt like that's, like, ripe harvest for over-spiritualizing things. You know, like, I failed this test, and it's like, you know, all, God works all things together, man. You know, and it's like, shut up. <laughs> you know? I mean, I almost, I almost feel like that whole God works all things together thing is, can be overused. But how many of you have ever heard the whole, God works all things together in the context of something serious, like a sickness or a death? Have you heard that before? Um, because, like, like, some people sit here, you're in a tough situation, and, like, what is there to say other than to listen and pray? But as Christians, as Christians, we do have some verses that we kind of put our hat on, you know, that we hold on to. Like, I don't know. I don't know how this situation could be good, but it says that God works all things together. You know what I mean? Um, or there's a greater purpose. Have you, how many of you have ever heard that? That there's a greater purpose to this, like your sickness. I mean, um, we, uh, there's a kid in the um, high school group who was diagnosed with cancer. We prayed for him in the meeting right now. And it's all public knowledge. And um, he'll put on his Facebook, like, all praise to God. You know, all praise to God. All praise to God. And I've you know, I was his middle school youth pastor, and so, you know, I'm, I'm messaging him back and forth, telling him I'm praying for him, and I'm just proud of him, and I'm hearing other students talk about how inspirational and how he's pointing to Christ, and he'll make comments like, well, I hope that all of this is for a greater purpose, you know, and I mean, it almost gives me chills, like, this is a high school kid who's saying this kind of stuff, you know, and it kind of blows my mind, and he's looking at his situation, which is bad, um, but saying that there's something, something, something bigger, which is the idea behind this? This builds character. Like you're in this situation's net. You're in this situation now, but there's kind of something bigger or better. Which is ultimately the hope that we have as Christians, right? Is that outside of the situation that we're in, that there is something bigger and better that we can hold to and look to. So in Ephesians, Paul is writing this letter to the Christians that are in Ephesus and the surrounding areas. And this is not a letter of chastisement. This is not a letter of, like some of, of uh, Paul's other letters. This is not a letter where he's saying, you're doing bad and you, you, need, to, you need to sharpen up. All right? This is not a letter where he's like, What's go, what has gone on in your church since I've been gone? Uh, essentially, Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are living in a pagan city. I mean, a pagan to the nth degree, you know? And we talked last week about how um, in the city of Ephesus was the temple to Artemis. And it was one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. Just, I mean, a massive uh, focal point of the whole city was this, was this huge um, uh, cultural um, center for idolatry, <laughs> you know? And so you have these Christians who are in the vast mi minority and uh, it's just not easy listening. And so Paul is writing this letter to them in their bad, tough situation. And, how, and, and the question that I've tried to pose this morning is how do you 
encourage somebody in the tough situation that isn't necessarily going to change. You follow? And, and Paul is offering uh, the idea and the concept that there is, that there is something bigger going on. But this isn't just surfy uh, Hallmark greeting card Christianity here, like that God works all things together, all right? The end. He, he goes into a lot of depth here. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. We're going to read three, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Um, Paul starts this out with the word blessed. Blessed be God. Blessed be God the Father and the Lord, uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, he starts this letter, all right? This is a letter to a group of believers who are, in fact, on the right path as a new church. But they're in a tough place. And he starts this whole thing by saying, all praise be to God. That's, that's what blessed means. That means... Uh, this, this particular word in the original language was something that was specifically used to uh, speak of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. All right, so we have this whole theme, and these are all different versions of the same word in the original, uh, in the original language. Blessed be God who has blessed us in Christ, in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing. So it starts off, the very first word is, all praise be to God. The, 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 the starting point of this whole thing is, all praise be to God. And I think whenever you're reading a text, you need to ask yourself, you know, constantly, why? 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 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's blessed us. It's right there, verse 3. Why? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has Blessed us. All praise to him because what he has done to us and for us. He has blessed us. And again, it's important that we constantly remember who the audience is. And it is followers of Christ. This is not a broad statement to all of mankind. All right, This is specifically written to Christ followers. Blessed be the God and Father. All praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ 
What has he blessed us with? Every spiritual blessing. You following here? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's a, a pretty broad statement. Every spiritual blessing. And he qualifies it and quantifies it with in the heavenly realms. This helps me think when I'm writing stuff up here, so I hope that it's helpful for you. Blessed all praise be to God the Father Almighty, because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So right off the bat, what Paul is saying here is that the blessings that come from God the Father um, of our Lord Jesus Christ is something that is spiritual and not material and heavenly and not earthly and eternal and not temporal. That he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So he's bringing some definition to, to the things that he's getting ready to unpack here. That you, followers of Christ in Ephesus, have been blessed by the blessed one in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Saying that, listen, I'm not getting ready to unpack for you, believer, um, how the health and wealth world works. I'm getting ready to, to set the situation for the blessing that you have received. That it is something that is spiritual and not material. That your blessing is something that is heavenly and not earthly. And that the blessing that you are receiving is something that is eternal and not temporal. Which kind of goes along the whole lines of like, this is this builds character. You Does that make sense? It's like, I know you're in a bad situation now, but this is for a greater purpose. And I'm getting ready to explain how this is for a greater purpose. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Even as he chose us, all right, so there's a past tense here. He chose us, past tense, before the foundation of the world. Not just at your birth, but before creation began. He chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be, so that we should become, future tense, holy and blameless before him. So that we see that there's not only a blessing here, but that there is actually a plan going on that stretches from eternity past to eternity future. He, is, he has uh, chosen us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The word holy um, has a very close connection with the word saints in verse 1. All right, So jump, jump back up to verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to who? Who is this letter being written, being written to? It is to the saints, which means it is to the believers. Uh, we don't use the word saints much, unless we're talking about Roman Catholicism or New Orleans, right? All right? And so, you know, we, we don't really say, I'm looking forward to coming to church this, this fine Sunday morning for the gathering of the saints. You know, it just seems like a word that we don't use a whole lot. But the context of this and the original meaning of this word saints was simply followers of Jesus Christ. Not somebody who um, has been ordained with sainthood by a church, but simply a follower of Jesus Christ. So a saint is somebody who has become a follower, and by so, so doing, they have set themselves apart to be different. They have taken themselves out of the culture, even though they're still living and working 
and existing in their culture, but they have set themselves apart and saying, I'm living for a different purpose. I'm living by a different standard, which is now Jesus Christ, as opposed to the, the, the pagan motivations of everybody else in my culture. Okay? So, we have been called so that we should be holy, set apart, consecrated, different than everybody else, and blameless before him, which will come to complete fruition um, at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So there is a calling and there is a plan that reaches from way before us to eternity, a future. In love, Paul says, verse 5, in love, he predestined us for adoption. This is another aspect of our blessing. Blessed be God the Father Almighty, because he has blessed us. I didn't spell that right. Whoa. <laughs> there we go. Adoption. Let's look at um, Galatians 4, 7. Galatians 4, 7. I'm sorry, Galatians 4, 4. Can I get someone to read this, please? Galatians 4, <coughs> David Smith. 4 through 7, please. Sure. I mean that the hair... The, the, the Galatians 4. Verse 5 says to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions. That through redemption we receive adoption. And because you are sons, meaning you've been made part of the family of God, God the Father, now you are sons and daughters, uh, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, which is an act of worship. That as a result of this adoption that has taken place, that is part of the blessing, it results in your redemption. And it results in your worship by, cry, by crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, when, when you start looking at the idea of adoption, um, I, I think of uh, if you're in a situation where you're short on money and you really need a job. We've probably all been there at, at, at some point. Um, and you're stressing out about it. And you're looking and you're doing all you can. Um, and maybe there are some job options out there, but you're not making what you need or what you would like. Isn't it a game changer if you suddenly became adopted and received an inheritance of unimaginable wealth? Wouldn't that change your, your, your outlook? You know what I mean? And this is what Paul is saying here, is that because we have adoption, it, it changes your situation by changing your status, all right? It changes your situation by changing your status. If you, if you don't have an inheritance, then you really should be worried about money. 
You really should be worried about your future. You really should be worried about where the next meal might come. But if you've been adopted by uh, a, a wealthy man, then that it changes the outlook. I'm like, I still need to do the things that I'm called to do, but I'm going to be taken care of because I'm part of a family. I'm a part of something that is bigger than just me alone. All right? So there is something that is great and mighty that Paul is trying to uh, communicate here to the Ephesians. In verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to be brought into God's family. And what if, I mean, think of the context here. What if, I mean, everybody's uh, worshiping uh, Artemis, all right? In this massive, what was it, 450 feet long by 225 feet wide, um, 200 feet pillars, 127 pillars that go all the way around it, a giant statue, and everybody is pouring their money into this place. If, if, if in your pagan mind you could think, I am a part of the family of Artemis, you know, then that temple becomes your house, right? You follow? And, and so if you, if, you, if you have an association, and if everybody around associates you with them, then, then you, 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 there, there's, a, there's a greatness that happens. And I think that Paul, when he's looking at this, saying, listen, there is a God, a real God, a true God out there that is bigger and mightier than any stone temple, even if people are throwing their money at it. And you have become part of his family, God the Father Almighty, and all praise to him for it. Praise be to God the Father, the Lord of our, uh, the Lord, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. How has he blessed us? every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms by providing for us adoption. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. In him we have redemption. So not only do we have adoption, but we have Redemption. Let's look at um, First Peter. No, Romans three twenty three. Romans three twenty three to twenty five. All right. Hold your finger there. And Hebrews nine. 15. Hebrews 9, 15. Thanks for flipping around with me here. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Uh, who would please read Hebrews 9, 15, and 16? Hebrews 9, 15, and 16. Leslie. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. The idea of redemption and the idea of the shedding of blood is one that is, is from the Old Testament law. All right, that says that if there's a sin that is committed, it must be, must be paid for. And the Old Testament law gave an outline for how that was to happen. And it happened by the, the shedding of blood. All right, so with that context, I want us to read these verses again, if you would please. 
and see what Paul is claiming here now for these believers that are in Ephesus. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. New covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance. An inheritance. Sorry, Leslie. No, you're fine. No, sorry. <laughs> no. Um, an inheritance is something that comes to a son, right? It is not something that just kind of broadly goes is distributed in a trust. An inheritance is for part of the family, an eternal inheritance. Keep going. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So there's redemption based on the laws that were written through the Old Testament. Keep going. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. The death must be established. First, uh, Romans 3, 23 through 25. Who can read that for us, please? Deborah. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Thank you. Verse 25 says that whom God put forward as a propitiation or a wrath-bearer, wrath-receiver, by his blood, by his death, by the shedding of his blood. So in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now there's a phrase that, um, that kind of keeps popping up here. We're gonna, um, according to the uh, riches of his grace. Riches of his grace. And he did these things according to the riches of his grace because of who he is. For one of the reasons why he is to be praised. According to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, which he lavished upon us. What did he lavish on us? The riches of his grace, redemption through blood, and the forgiveness of our sins. Which he lavished upon us in wisdom and insight. So as a result of all this, we are continuing in, the, in, in our blessed condition. That we are given wisdom and insight. <coughs> wisdom here speaks to uh, the knowledge of the situation that God is putting us into. And insight is a, a, an apprehension or comprehension of, of such wisdom, of such knowledge. All right? So it goes to say that um, at the end of verse 8, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. So we have another one of these according. According. His purpose. What is according to his purpose? This plan, which is a mystery, making known to us the mystery of his will. How is this mystery made known to us? By the wisdom and insight that he has given to us. All right? So, what Paul is telling the Ephesians here is that we have a great and mighty God who is blessing us in. In many, 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 many unfathomable, eternal ways um, through his plan that goes from eternity past to eternity future. But this plan up to this point 
has, has been a mystery. It has been a mystery, but he gets ready to define it right here. Make, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Fullness of time. As a plan for the fullness of time to do what? This is the mystery revealed right here. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Unite. Sorry for my bad handwriting. <laughs> to unite all things. I'm going to use a different color. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it just got neater, didn't it? Yeah. Some people are like, what is going on? <laughs> Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his plan that has unimaginable consequences for us in a positive way. What is his plan? What is this mystery that is revealed? What is the... When, when, this, this phrase right here um, that says in verse 10, as, as a plan for the fullness of time is... The same way that the text in Galatians that we read. Uh, but when the fullness of time had come, it means the working out of his pre-plan is what that means. It means that this isn't something that God is kind of trekking along, taking a step by step through the course of time and saying, uh, let me switch this around. Let me work this out for my good. Let me do this. Rather, it is a full working out according to his pre-plan that's going on here. That there's a mystery that people were not made aware of. Previously, even though there were hints and there were prophecies and all these things, that God in his greatness, because he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through adoption and through redemption, and given us a wisdom and insight that he did not give to other people to, to understand this mystery that was unknown, and it's the working out of his plan, which is to unite all things together. And another way of saying unite all things together is the redemption of both creation and mankind through the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All through this text here, it's through him, in him, Jesus Christ, this and that and that. All of these things are happening. The redemption, the, the completion, the fixing of the creation and the broken relationship between God and man is the mystery revealed. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, you're in Ephesus, and things might not be easy. Things might not be going well. You are the, the, the great minority here. But there is something greater going on. Not just something greater that you get to touch and taste, but something greater that you have been adopted into as part of the family of God. And it is changing your situation by changing your, your status as somebody who's been redeemed and somebody who's become adopted. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time, or as a working out of the pre-plan that God has already put in place to redeem all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11. There's a switch in tone here in verse 11. Paul is of Jewish descent. And he says that in him we have obtained an inheritance. An another word for obtained there is like destined. All right, that's, that's a strong word, isn't it? In him we, and that we is a different we than was used previously, all right? So this we is speaking specifically of Paul and his Jewish descent. He's saying, in him, 
we, those of us that are Jews and were raised in the Jewish way of life, have been destined or have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works. All right, so we have another according here. According to the purpose of him who works. All things according to the counsel of his will. Counsel of his will. Who works all things according to the counsel of will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, and it was those of Jewish descent that were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Why is all this happening? Praise of his glory. In him, we, of Jewish descent, have, been, uh, have obtained or have been destined to an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of God, who works all things according to the counsel and the purpose of his own will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, or might obtain, to his glory. Verse 13. In him you also, meaning you who are not of Jewish descent, you who are Gentiles. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. You heard it, and you believed. You didn't just hear it, but you acted on it. You didn't just hear it, but you switched your life. You changed your life. You became holy. You set yourself apart from everything else around you. Because there's a lot of people who are hearing this stuff. But I'm not talking to those who are hearing I'm talking to those who have heard and believe. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This word sealed right here is the same word that is used when they sealed the tomb, saying that they wanted it to be certain. However, the tomb was not certain because it was done with human hands. But this text right here is speaking of the Holy Spirit who is saying that when you become redeemed and you become adopted, that it is something that is eternally secure. And there's, I mean, you could do a whole lesson on what it means to be sealed. Um, it, it, you could go in one direction, and these are all scripturally based, to, to make secure or authentic and approved or a certificate of genuineness or an identification of ownership. When I was in college, one of my professors talked about being sealed um, and he, he related it to a, uh, a, a Tylenol bottle that you, that, that you buy from the pharmacy that has several different layers of protection. You know what I mean? Like you got the outside wrapper that you got to tear that off first, and you pop open the child safety thing, and then you have to peel open the, the seal inside of that, you know? And you open that thing up, and then there's the cotton in there. You know what I mean? It's all these different levels of protection. And it's saying that when, when this is your situation, it is something that you can count on with your very life. That you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, again, something that only goes to those who are adopted, until we acquire possession of it, showing that there is a future sense here going on in God's mighty plan. Until we acquire, we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glory. I missed one, but it says to the praise of his glory. Three different times throughout the short text. Why is this going on? To the praise of his glory. 
It starts off in verse 3, the very first thing says, all praise to God. It says in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. It says in verse 12, uh, that we might, might be to the praise of his glory. And then it, it wraps up in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So this is why God is great, because of his mighty plan that has unspeakable benefits to us who believe. And why is all this happening? It is all for God's glory anyway. Does that make sense? All right? So all praise be to God the Father. Why, why is he, why is he be to be praised? Because he's done this for us. But why has he done this for us? Because it fits into his mighty plan that he has written since before the foundation of time. But why did he do this mighty plan? Because it brings him glory. You know? So this plan isn't about us. You know? It's not one of those things where God is like, oh, poor people. I think I'll offer you salvation. Now, he does love us because it says in love that he did these things. At the very beginning of verse 5, actually the very beginning, uh, end of verse 6, it's a weird verse break there. It says, in love, in love. God did this for us because he loved us. But let's not be mistaken up there that he's like the sugar daddy who's like, I'm going to work out everything for you and help you in every situation. He, he, He doesn't say that. Actually, none of this, none of this has anything to do with their current situation. Nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. But he's saying, listen, there is a plan. There is a bigger plan out there that you've got to hold on to. And I wonder, there's the old old saying, um, teach a man to fish and you feed him for a day. Um, Teach him how to fish. And you feed him for a lifetime. Have you heard that? You heard that? All right, teach a man to fish. And you, or uh, give the man a fish. Did I say it wrong? Yeah, I did. Give the man a fish, and you feed him for a day. Uh, teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. I think that probably every single one of us probably goes through every day at some point in the day not liking our situation in some way, right? And our situation might be as frivolous as the way we look. Our situation might be as serious as our health. Um, our situation might be uh, have to do with our, our work or our situations that are uh, a plane wreck. Fill in the blank. That, that we, we as humans, because we are living in a fallen and broken world, filled with pagans and filled with sinners, just like those in Ephesus. And these believers have not reached the fullest inheritance yet, in the future sense here, are still sinners themselves. And so if God were to come up to them and say, hey, I am the, this God with this plan, and I'm doing all these things for you, and I want to really sweeten your personal situation right now, what would happen? You know? What would happen if we just looked to God as the God who fixes our situation? You know? God, I have a horrible job. I need to make more money. God, please give me a new job. Okay. What if God says, I'll give you a new job? You know what would happen eventually? Yes, what would happen? Entitlement. Entitlement? What else? You might dislike that job. You want something else the next day. Isn't that how it works? 
You know? I, I want to be married. Well, you know what? Problems happen in marriage too. You know? We sit here and pray as a staff for these marriages at our church here that are train wrecks. And, and, and kids that are, I mean, hurt for, for the rest of their lives. You know? Um, I want a little bit more money. The Bible screams money corrupts you, even though you think you're the exception. You know? I, I, God, I want, I want to look a little bit better. I, I, was, I was listening to the radio, Christmas songs, and, um, and some cosmetic surgery commercial came on, and their spokesperson for cosmetic surgery was 2009 Miss South Carolina. And so this person that we as the world have defined as beautiful is saying, hey, I need to more beautify myself. I mean, isn't that just sick, you know? So it's like I'm, I'm determined to be beautiful, but yet I want more surgery so that I can, you know? It's, and that's the way it is because this place has fallen and it's broken. And so throughout Scripture, you don't see promises from God that says, I'm going to fix your, fix your situation because what he says is, I have something bigger. I want to teach you to fish. I don't want to fix your situation because where does that go? Where does, where does fixing that situation go on the sinful, fallen, temporal vapor of a lifetime? What good is that? It's like switching to a window seat on a crashing airplane, you know? It's like, I want a view. Well, that's not the point here. I mean, honestly, if you, really, if you think that's going to change your situation, then you're deceived and you need wisdom and insight. Because this is what we've been given, not because we're owed it, not because God is just lovey-dovey and he wants to help us out, but because he has a greater plan that is solely to the praise of his glory. And he says it, it's how it starts and it's how it ends. And we get the benefits. But they're spiritual and not material. They're of heaven and not of earth. And they're eternal and not temporal. So what would you rather have? I mean, this is all peachy and kind of, and kind of nice. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what would you rather have? A better situation right now or this, you know? Would you rather have a better job or a better relationship or, money, or more money in your, in your savings account, blah, 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 blah? Or would you rather have the confidence and the assurance that even though things might be kind of rough in this vapor, that that this has been written already for us, you know? And this is the gospel. The, the gospel it wasn't, by God's plan, wasn't designed to give us <coughs> ease, you know? Uh, all through scripture, it, it says that it's going to be rough, but it's a vapor, <laughs> you know? That, that, that there is something that is bigger. And if, if I had been recently diagnosed with a disease, or if somebody who I loved tremendously died, it would not be easy for me to hear truths that say, 
that God has a bigger plan. But it's truth. I think it can be said in a right and a wrong way. But what else do you hold on to? You know? God forbid if my wife were to die. But what? What, what, what would I hold on to? Other than that it's not about my situation. It's about my status. You know? That's what this is. And then so Paul is writing to these Ephesians not saying, I'm sending money to your checking accounts. Paul is writing to the Ephesians saying, I'm not fixing um, your rough work situation because your pagan boss doesn't like the fact that you're now a Christian and you don't give money to Artemis. Um, He's not saying... um, by the way, everyone in your town is going to like you because you're a very charitable person now that you're a Christian. He's saying, listen, we got it good. We got it good. And it's not about us. It's the praise of God the Father Almighty. So, look at your situation, you know. This is not something, this is not Christianity 101. This is something that every believer, I think, has to look at, you know? Look at your situation. And are, are you getting caught up with your biggest desire is just to change your situation? Because if that's, if that's it, then, then you're, missing, you're missing this. And that's why Paul's writing, because they need to be reminded. They need to be reminded, and we need to be reminded. That's one reason why we gather as believers, because we're going to go into next Monday. Things are going to be crappy, probably in some situation, stressful. Uh, You're going to be targeted in some way, maybe. You're not going to enjoy the the career path that you're on or the debt that you're accumulating. Whatever it is, you're wishing that you're in a different situation and relationships. Not that those aren't important. Not that we don't spend time thinking about those but that there's a something greater at work here. There's something bigger, better, greater, mightier at work here. All to the praise of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that this, this, this world, this life, is just not about my day to day. Father, this is not about um, how secure I feel due to my finances, or the 10-year track that I have made for my my career. Father, this isn't even about um, just the image of myself physically. (laughs) But Father, you you have had, and you have, and you will continue to have a mighty plan that is by your design, that brings you glory, and benefits us beyond our understanding and comprehension. And for whatever reason, you have given us wisdom and insight to see and believe the gospel. I thank you for that. I praise you for that. And Father, may may we just be humbled because of what you've done in your plan in Jesus' name.